Abandon fear and trust yourself Open up to all life's wealth Tap into a sixth sense with intuitive intelligence Alright, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to do another special interview where I'm in the hot seat and Angie is going to be asking the questions. Um, but I'm going to start with our opening prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and a heart to understand all you wish us to know. Help us co-create a life of love, joy, and compassion for ourselves and others. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Welcome back, Angie. Hi. Thanks for having me what it took for us to get to this podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So well, interesting to see what comes from it. Well, and I think um, you and I were just talking before we opened the, the show today about dark night of the soul, what the void is, um, how that sort of ties in with manifesting. Okay. Well, let's start off with first, let's identify what the dark night of the soul is. Because there's a huge difference between that and depression. But a lot of people don't know the difference as far as the feeling. It feels the same. And it can be like depression can just be a mental state of being. To me, they're one and the same thing. The difference is people that are in depression and not seeking spirit, not seeking God, not seeking their higher self. Um, they just stop there. They never truly enter or exit the dark night of the soul. Okay. okay. The way spirit has always explained depression to me when I came out of it and when I was in it was to say that um, depression is the compression of our soul, the compression of our spirit. In other words, you know what compression socks are, right? Right. Yeah. Like take an extra small size of compression socks and try and shove your, you know, your body into it. And it's so constricting. <clears throat> Women know this when they wear Spanx. Like take a smaller size Spank than what you actually should wear. It hurts enough to wear one that is your size. Like it's ungodly to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then take a size smaller and try to shove yourself in those Spanx and breathe. And pretty soon you can't. Everything hurts. Depressions like that, but from a soul level or a spirit level. Does that make sense? It so does. we're, <clears throat> because of the world, because of religion, because of social construct, because of family, because of programs, because of fear, because of blah, 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 blah. We end up trying to, or the world tries to get us to, constrict our soul, our spirit, who we really are, into this really tight place where we don't, we aren't able to access that joy anymore because the real us has been squeezed out of us. It's too tight. So instead of depression, they should actually call it what it is. It's compression, compression of spirit. Yeah. Like the trash compactor. Oh my God. And <laughs> well, and yeah, what's interesting about the trash compactor, I think I wrote about it in my book. I'm not sure if it did end up in the book. I had a dream a recurring dream from the time I was about five years old that I can go back to um, all the time when stressful things were happening. Mm -hmm. And it scared me because in the dream was like, you remember the old TV black and white with the fuzz, mm -hmm. the TV fuzz. 
Um, in the dream, I was a fuzz, one of the TV fuzzes, but inside a trash compactor and the walls kept closing and closing to where I knew pretty soon I wasn't going to exist. And that dream, would I would wake up always in a panic, always couldn't breathe, always felt like, oh my God. And this is from like when I was a little kid until um, it still happens occasionally. It hasn't happened for a number of years. Probably, I think when I had cancer was the last time I had that one. But it's so familiar to me. I know always that something's up when that dream happens. Um, but yeah, it is. It's like it was a trash compactor that closed in on all four walls. And I was the little TV fuzz. Why I was the TV fuzz, I have no idea. Except that if you think about us as souls instead of human bodies and just energy, then it makes more sense. And maybe that's what they were trying to show me with that. And then I did go through many years through my childhood and adulthood with depression. But then um, when I began to really desire to stop the depression, right? when I began to believe that this wasn't simply just what they called clinical chronic depression, that there was something actually going on. And I began to seek, well, it didn't change the, the feeling of, of sadness, um, the feeling of lack of optimism, lack of hope. It didn't change it right away. It actually intensified it in some, some ways. It was the understanding that this dark night of the soul was meant to turn into something. It was meant to blossom into something, right? Like when we want to grow flowers or vegetables, the seed actually goes into the ground, buried in the, in, we dig a hole and we bury that puppy. Right. Like it's dead. And then it gets watered and weeks later, suddenly life appears. The dark night of the soul is like that. We're getting thrown into the dirt and getting buried. <laughs> to be and then we have a lot of uh, fertilizer put on top of us. Yes. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. I mean, the growth process to me is very uncomfortable. Um, but the dark night of the soul, it is that place where we're moving through our shadows. Okay. Right. Depression, when we get stuck in that place of depression where, where it's clinical depression, um, and I'm not going to say that people shouldn't take antidepressants because I know for me, when I was in the worst part of it and very suicidal in my 20s, I was on antidepressants for about six months, enough to get me through, but it numbs you, mm -hmm. right? And it did. And then I, I was like, I can't take the numbing. So I came off of the antidepressants and went solidly into a full-on dark night of the soul and had to struggle my way through working through my, my inner demons, my inner fears, my inner battle, my inner conflict, my self-loathing, my shame, my guilt, my anger. And as you battle your way through all of those things, you emerge into what's called the void. Okay. Can we look at the battle real quick? Yeah. Because when you're talking about battle, um, I've looked at different ways like first of all writing and I used to use a lot of my tools to beat myself up over mm -hmm. um, like when they say character defects it took somebody saying no it's survival mechanisms right that helped me switch that helped me give me a tool to help battle with it mm -hmm. so 
what kind of battles did you go through? What did they look like? I know it's a very broad. You know, very much what everybody, all of us battle with when we're in the dark night of the soul, we're in depression is a mental, uh, uh, um, a mental loop, whether that's because you have tapes playing in your head from the past of a loss of something you didn't get. Like for me for a long time, it was, there was a program that ran that was like, nobody will ever love you because your mother couldn't love you. There's something inherently Mm -hmm. wrong with you. will always be. The other program that was running side by side with that, that I didn't realize was running also was everything you ever love will be removed from you. Right. You will never get to have anything you love. So you're better off. And this is how I rationalize things. You're better off just not loving. And then I, I would choose people, friends, partners, jobs where I couldn't care less if I lost them. And then those are the ones that wanted to stick around. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) You know, because my programming was, if you love something, you're going to lose it. Mm -hmm. If you love someone, you're going to lose it. But if you don't love them, you'll get to hold on to it. It may suck, but you get to hold on to it. So as, as those programs and tapes began to play through, through my dark night of the soul and repeat, 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 I, I called out to God, like, make this stop. This is hell for me. He said, it will stop when you're ready for it to stop. And I'm like, what do you mean? How do I make it stop? So then it was journaling and, and understanding that I have my own power. I don't have to believe that anymore. I don't have to, like, great, you created this survival strategy to pick things and people and jobs that you hated so that you didn't have to experience loss and abandonment. Lovely. Good strategy, Bernadette. Not because here you mm-hmm. are now. You're depressed, or now you're in the dark night. Um, so then I had to face all of the all of like all of the times I did just that. I I I was a slave to that belief system that you can't be loved, you'll never be loved. Choose things you hate because you'll just lose it. I had to I had to go back to oh my god, you did it there, <gasps> and you did it there. And you did it with that friend and you did it with that job, right? Right. Always set yourself up so that when you were left or it did leave, if at all, you wouldn't feel any loss. Brilliant strategy. And yet it confirmed your worst nightmares at the same time. Kind of. I mean, I don't, you know, my biggest fear, I think in life, at that time in my 20s and throughout my childhood was just that um, I would always be alone. Uh So it was easier for me to, to find people who I didn't even have a lot, you know, I was very sensitive, but people saw me on the outside as, as really tough. I'm a fire son. I can come across as being very tough, but kind of bitchy you know, especially in my twenties, I was very arrogant in my twenties and, and it was about my physical looks. Like I knew I could get and manipulate situations and people by my looks. And I was in sales and marketing. So we were even trained on top of that, how to use body language and cues and and our looks to manipulate what we wanted out of a situation, especially as a woman dealing with men, you know, and trying to close a deal. 
Um, but I did it everywhere. I did it with women. I did it with men. I did it with jobs. And I got to the point where it was like, this isn't real. Nothing's real. So then I would play the game at work, come home and fall apart. You can only hold it together like that in this imaginary world for so long before you come home. And while everyone thought, you know, she's doing really great on the outside and everyone would tell me you're doing so good. Look at your career. I was dying inside. Right. You know, I mean, I remember, well, I had a little one on top of it, but I mean, I, I would go out to my car at lunchtime and literally pass out. I was so exhausted from trying to play this crazy game. Um, and I remember in my teen years, I slept a lot too. And I think that's what we end up doing, right? We get so exhausted because we're not being authentic. Did you also use substances as well? Uh Mostly alcohol. (laughs) I mean, at that time in my earlier, like I would say early, you know, late teens, early twenties, I did like every other kid in California, I think, and tried substances. Um, I don't know that any of them ever did anything, you know, I didn't, I, I stayed away from the hardcore stuff, but, um, the only reason I think I ever did any of it was because everyone else did alcohol. However, in the darkest parts of the dark night of the soul, in the beginning stages, I recognized that it literally was bringing with it some really dark stuff. Okay. You know, but when I drank, um, my suicidal thoughts would take on a character of their own. Wow. If not a spirit of their own. And then it became very scary. So yeah, I did. And I don't recommend people do that. And then you worked your way from there and you got (sighs) into the void. I worked my way out of there, which I want to answer the question you asked me the other day, because you said, um, how did you do it? How did you work your way through? Um, and, and I guess sometimes I don't share that with people. It was a big, long process. Like I, I wrote a book and and teach a class on that process. It's called charm life. Um, and it is a process of self-examination. I asked myself because spirit worked with me in, in asking myself so many questions about, is this really you? (laughs) Is this your ego? And I learned how to separate what was truly my spirit, my higher self, and what was ego. And I learned how to recognize when I wasn't being authentic. Um, It wasn't easy. I did a lot of journaling. I filled up so many notebooks. Eventually, I had to burn a bunch of those notebooks because I didn't ever want anyone to find them. And they had every bit of darkness in my my mind. all of all of this sort of emotional mental vomiting you know i wrote many pages of i hate this and i hate that and i hate that you know what i mean like when when you're initially going through that process of facing your shadows the first thing we tend to do is look at outside of us and go i hate that person and they did this to me and and so there's a couple full notebooks of all of the times i'd been victimized And then it was like, wait a minute, you got to start looking at you. Like what was, what is the one consistent element in this that repeats from relationship to relationship? And I was like, oh, it's me. Right. I'm the same. Different face, different name that I'm dealing with, but I'm the same. 
-hmm. And these people are all basically like my mother or my family members or people that had hurt, you know, like they're all, they're all just different masks and different faces and I'm the same. So then what do I change? Me. And that was hard. I had to, I, I had to, I had to face the, the, the parts in me that I thought, and I want to say this properly, that I thought were broken, that I thought were faulty, um, that I thought were, were weaknesses. I had to fix those things or address them. And then I had to be willing to address my strengths. Even if those strengths were manipulative, okay, I had to address which what those were, and that takes a long time. I mean, you're at it, and 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 I had to commit to not running away from that work because it wasn't fast. It didn't just happen overnight, right? It didn't just happen in three months. This was several months of down and dirty, and and then when I would recognize something about myself and how I create strategies around these belief systems that protected me, I thought protected me, where was I playing them out? With my kid, with my family, with my coworkers, with men, with, you know, like I, and then I would recognize it and then have to literally journal over and over and over again, how I would choose differently and then put that into play. And I would take one thing at a time you can't change everything at once. You have to take one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So it is not a fast process. And I mean, I've been at that, that work, specific charm life work, since I was in my 20s and I am now 53. So it's an ongoing process because <laughs> I'm still <laughs> finding stuff that's like, wow, mm-hmm. what? You know, like every time you up-level even, right? Even right. time, it, it, every time you allow yourself to be a little more powerful because we, we just incrementally go up the scale of, of feeling our own power, our own divinity. So every time we, we, we get comfortable at one level, we want to go up to the next. There's a whole other layer of beliefs that's keeping you down. And every time I go up one, man, I got to go through the process again. It seems like it never stops. This is like changing your vibrations. Changing your emotional and mental vibrations, but changing your set point because we have an energetic set point. All of us do at any, at any given time. And that mm-hmm. set point goes up and down, but for the most part, we all have a baseline. So if we want to have more, be more, do more in life, experience more, our baseline has to raise, right? Did you have a coach during this period or? No. You just had the spirit and yes. working one on one? And I studied, I mean, I studied um, self-help books like you wouldn't believe as much as I could get my hands on. I studied spiritual texts. I read the Bible. I studied the Torah. I studied the Zohar. I studied whatever spirit would lead my way. I would be studying. And, And so when I wasn't working and my child was asleep, I was studying. And it was an ongoing, and then I'd have these light bulbs go off, which would take me a couple days to, to understand. Then I would journal all about it. And then how does this apply to my life? You know, and I'm, and I began to take everything very seriously about it's showing up in my life to either teach me something, right. Um, or to impart something 
Like there's a lesson here or there's, there's a blessing. Which one is it? Lesson or blessing or both? Because to me, lessons right. are blessings. But at that time, I had to separate them. This is either a lesson or this is a blessing. And if it was a lesson, what's the lesson? What's it tied to? So I got very good at um, realizing very quickly when I was pointing my finger at, I can see how that person's asleep or they're not this enough or they're not, that literally those things I was recognizing in other people that I did not like was somewhere hidden in me behind the, my ego blinders. I couldn't see it. I had heard about that because you can't recognize something's irritating you if you yeah. don't already have it inside of you to be irritated. Yeah. So well, and that, I mean, what's a trigger? You know, we talk about triggers a lot. Like that's become a very common understanding when, when we get triggered. You know, someone, someone does something and it brings something up and, and we, we always want to go, well, it's their fault because they're being rude or being an asshole. You know, one of the things that used to bug me, I remember one of my big triggers in my 20s is if someone would say you're too sensitive. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. And it, if someone okay. says that, like now they can say that, and I'm like, yeah, it pays well, thanks. But back in my 20s, those were fighting words. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're too sensitive. Like it took me so long to just be out of the house where I wasn't allowed to be sensitive. So how right. dare you? How dare you know? Like I am. I, mean, I would get into it. Well, if I'm sensitive, then you're a. Blah, 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 blah. And boy, could my Sagittarius <laughs> tongue rip it apart, right? Right. But then, then you realize, like, there's truth in that word for you because you're reacting to it. There's some truth there. Right. Why are you reacting? What are you protecting against? And then when I realized that that was another thing I needed to get down and dirty with, like, this trigger is hitting a place where I'm trying to protect myself. And if I can get, drop the need to protect myself, I don't have to react to that trigger anymore. And then I, it, it dawned on me, like all of the religious programming, all of the warnings, all of everyone else's belief about what sensitivity is. Mm -hmm. Once I, I understood that I didn't want that, I didn't need that, that wasn't part of me. I dropped the protection and then I was able to just be sensitive and be cool with it. You what know? about emotions? Same thing to me. That's the same thing to me. Sensitivity of energy, but sensitivity to emotions. So we live in a very emotional world. Right. But, but the powers that be um, in the darkness don't want us to be in touch with our feelings. They want us to be in touch with what we think. We stay analytical. Stay on the, you know, on the logical side of your brain, not the feeling side, because the feeling side is the side that's connected to the intuition. The feeling side's connected to the imagination. And, and yeah, so the whole world is, is, even religion wants to program you. Don't, don't feel, it doesn't matter how you feel, just do, do the right thing. Think about the laws, think about the rules. Think about the commandments. <laughs> and the consequences yes. of not following those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Sins. so yeah, that's how, I mean, and it, it was for me, it was writing, um, because otherwise I could get lost in my head very easily, mm -hmm. you know, 
traditional talk therapy doesn't even work with me because didn't work for me because it was, I would, I can talk and I learned this from my first marriage. I'm really good at talking in a circle. Mm -hmm. And, and man, me and my first husband were really good at arguing in a circle for days, like days. Mm -hmm. And there, so for me, when you write, there comes a point of exhaustion but also a point where you've said it all and you're not about to write it over and over again. You recognize the patterns and then you can catch it faster and stop it. So for me, writing has always been the thing that works for me and and other people are different, but spirits always told me once you write it, your brain releases it. Yes. I've heard that. Put it down on the paper. I also look at it as mathematical equations. This is my analytical side. And I'm putting down this problem plus this problem plus this problem plus this problem. And finally, it's like I have to get to the equal sign and get into the solution. Yeah, It's just that's what I have to do. But there's a lot of times that I want to get stuck in, well, I want to make this problem that much more, you know, add in this variable and add in that variable. But finally, it's having to stop the dance is what you're speaking. and it's getting into the solution, understanding what is this all adding up to? Where am I going with this? How is this uh, formula going to help me to build? How is it going to lift my vibrations higher? Or how am I going to be able to help somebody else with this? So to simplify it, because um, I'm all about simple. Yes. And, and the simpler we make things, this is why I like the way I, I teach and talk and it, I try to keep it as simple as possible. The more complicated we make it, the more complicated language we put around it, the more complicated process we put around it, the more our ego can lock us into the analytical, logical way of thinking. Healing doesn't take place because our analytical mind figured it out. Okay. Like the mind has to be involved for sure. Right. But if it's only analytics, if it's only processing data, you're not truly healing. In order to heal, you have to take the data, the event, whatever injury and trauma, you have to disentangle the emotions, right, of from the story. Um, and you also have to do some form of physical release. That's why writing is so powerful because writing is kinesthetic. You're using your physical body to write, write what's coming out of your head. Um, you're also using your vision, right? You have to see what you're writing. So there's a physical aspect to it. And then your analytical mind is forming the words and the sentences as it's using language to get it on paper and your emotions are also disentangling in that process. You probably have to do more emotional release at the end, but it's easier to release when you're writing because you're involving all parts of your energetic body, your, your mental, your emotional, and your physical. And as you do that, you get quicker results. That's why EFT works so well. What's EFT? Emotional freedom technique, tapping. Okay. Tapping, um, is it works so well because you're actually physically tapping on your meridian points, energy points in the body, bringing up in your mind, your imagination, 
um, the thing that you're upset about, or if you're already in panic mode, you don't even need to imagine it. And then you're using language to reframe it or to release it. Um, and it's all parts of you and then the block can release and you're not okay. holding on to it. So that's why I use EFT and, and like NLP type stuff. Um, when I, when I'm doing work and, and I'll call it NLP, but like Julie will tell you, I've never been trained in NLP and she's like, don't do it because it'll ruin you. You just do it naturally. And then NLP. all NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. So, and, and what that is, is the way that we use words can actually empower or disempower, can heal or, or create issues. And so we want to be careful how we use language. And when you use language properly and consciously and intentionally, it can actually heal in the framework of reframing something, something in someone's mind. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. So we've gone from nah. being in a depression. Mm -hmm. and working with going into the void. The dark night of the soul, taking the depression well, and moving it into the dark night of the soul, face your demons, do your battle. Right. And, and then, then we're moving, moving into the void. Um, have we I know we've talked about a lot, but have we actually identified what the void is? No. So I'll show you. This is funny. I just looked down and this is a picture. Um, a picture oh, wow. of space, right? Yes. The galaxies. Like, just imagine, like, imagine as far out into space as you can go and the millions of stars and, and the Milky Way and the galaxy, like, just this vast universe. The void yes. is like being in the middle of that with no tether, <laughs> no relationship to up or down. Like when you come out of a dark night of the soul or which can happen when you go through a divorce, a job loss, the death of somebody, um, and you've processed through it. When you come out of there, you hit a place that's called the void. And a lot of people see a void as being very negative because you don't know what you want. You don't know who you are. You have literally a black, a blank canvas. Where do I go from here? Right. Okay. So many people are stuck in the void and they'll be stuck there for years. And I'll ask them, well, what makes you happy? I don't know. You know, because we play roles in life, the role of the mother, the role of the daughter, the role of the wife, right? The role of whatever roles we play when those roles are forced to end or change, all of us hit the void, whether we like it or not, right? Bankruptcy right. can cause a void. You're like, oh, what now? Sickness can cause a void. You know, I know when I had cancer, I had a weird short void, but then it was more exciting because I knew what it was. And so the way spirit explained it to me, the void is that point of light where it is literally just a blank canvas and you're the creator now in your own life. What are you going to put on the canvas? The scary part for most people or, or the hard work to get out of the void for most people is giving themselves permission to, to feel into and, and decide and make a choice. What do you want? What do you want to feel? What do you want to experience? What do you want it to look like? What do you not want to do? Who do you want around you? Most people have consumed so much of their lives by doing things that were expected of them, right? right? 
being around the people they're expected to be around, going to the church they're expected to go to, go to, go to the school you're expected, get the degree that you were expected. Like there's so many expectations. So when you hit that void and now it's like, I don't have lines on the road. Nobody's telling me what to do when my whole life has been dictated by everybody. <gasps> oh my God, I'm scared. Right? right. So pe people don't take a step or they just hit this place and they circle around their tail and they call me or someone like me and they're like, I'm so confused. I'm so lost. You're really not. It's not that you're lost or confused because confusion doesn't really exist. Confusion is a distraction from making a decision. I've never heard of that. Think about it uh, for a sec. Yeah. Okay. This will make sense for you. Okay. All right. You have kids, right? Stepchildren. Stepchildren. All right. How many times have you asked your stepchildren, what do you want to eat? And they're like, I don't know. Oh, that's my husband. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Yes. Um, or what do you want to do? I don't know. Oh, right. God, that used to drive me crazy. Mm -hmm. They do know. Yes. They're not willing to put the energy into making a decision. There's too many choices. So I'm not going to decide there that way. If I don't like how it turned out, I'm not, not at fault. Right. Yeah. Not responsible. So confusion is that tool of distraction for making a decision. That's all it is. It's not having the courage to be responsible for what turn what your life turns out to be what what that next step turns out to be you have to be willing to fail and fail miserably and fail out loud for everybody to see you have to be willing to do that to come out of the void with power right with power i mean that's where i hit in my 20s was just like all right, you know what? Hasn't been good up till now. People couldn't have cared less, didn't even know I wanted to kill myself. So at this point, I got nothing to lose. And I went and I manifested the boat, right? And boy, right. did everyone have something to say about that. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> you can't live on a boat. You've got a kid. What if it sinks? What if it catches fire? And I'm like, if I lived in a house, the same thing is possible. Thank you right? Yes. It's not safe. What's not safe? There's homeless people around the bay. Okay. Well, there's homeless people down the street too. Right. You know, what's stopping that? Like that place at least is you have to have a key to get through the gate to get to the docks. Yeah. More safe than say my apartment right now. But I mean, everybody's fears and thoughts came barreling in when I was in my void and, and came out of it. And I was like, if it sinks, it sinks. I'm willing to take that chance. Same with I when I moved to Colorado. You don't know anybody. You're moving in the middle of nowhere. You've never been there. What are you thinking? I'm not thinking. I'm actually responding to what spirit's been telling me and I'm feeling and the feeling feels better than what I've got going on right now. How about you training horses? Hello. How many people were having opinions about that one? Well, that, that's not a real job. That's just a hobby. Oh dear. You can't make Please. any money doing that. Even though, I mean, <laughs> racehorse trainers make millions of dollars when their horse wins. I mean, come on, mm -hmm. you know, but um, it, people have something to say about what they don't know. People are great at giving you their judgments and opinions about things they really are uneducated about. And then there's those other people who are super book knowledgeable. They want to give yeah. you their statistics and why it can't work. Mm -hmm. But in reality, they're just afraid because you're doing it 
differently. You're painting outside the lines, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I had a boss give me a really good piece of advice because I was always so afraid to make a mistake. And I mean, I would go over everything almost to the point of where I would be paralyzed. And finally, my boss said, look, if you make a mistake, I know 100% proof positive you're trying to do something. And that's all I can ask is that you're trying to get out there and do it. And the only way I know you're doing right or wrong is because you're doing it and then I get to see the results. Right. So if you screw up, that's a good thing. Right. And I, I looked at her like totally shocked because that was not the way I was raised. And no. so it was such a huge gift to be given that, especially by a boss. It's like, wow, thank you. That's the thing though. That's why I said everything that comes at you, is it a gift or is it a lesson or right. is it both? You know, when I learned that lessons were actually gifts that were a little harder to unwrap and go through, like they weren't dressed up pretty with a bow. Right. Um, and it wasn't what I asked for, but it was what I needed. Then life got easier there too, because no more resistance. And, and that's that thing, you know, man, we spend so much of our lives unwinding the dramas and traumas that were put upon us as children. And then that we put upon ourselves because that's what we were trained to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And then we hit our adulthood. I mean, I know people, I, I work with people right now that are in their 60s that are just now trying to figure out what to do with their lives when they grow up. Yeah, because they're retiring. And suddenly they're free to be who they want to be. Or they're divorcing or they're empty nesting. And, you know, I mean, we should actually have parts of the dark night of the soul repeatedly we should want that for ourselves because every time we go through one it means we're up leveling it means we're de like developing the ability to hold the sacredness of a whole other level of who we are you think divine power and we think it's a really cool word my divine gifts my divine power what does it mean what it means think about what the divine is D divine is infinite so if there are infinite parts and possibilities within me, how could I possibly, A, express all of them in one lifetime, not to its fullest, and B, there's no way I could fail. If I'm here to just experience my own divinity, experience my own infinity, who cares if I fail? Who cares? And what is failure? Failure is so subjective and ridiculous ridiculous. It's like, what is failure? I think it's more, you're more of a failure if you're always playing it safe and you never leave the freaking couch. That's or the front door, you know, or your cush job that you can't stand that's sucking the life out of your very soul or the, the relationship that drives you mad that, that suppresses every part of you or the church and religion that you're in that you didn't have a choice in when you were a child, but now you do as an adult, but that is just part of you. So what we would do, it's what we've always done. Why change it? You know, no, break out, be willing to fail, be willing to recognize. I don't like that. That didn't feel good. You and I, I mean, all of us, I think if you, you know how to ride a bike, right? 
Uh, I used to. <laughs> when you were a child and you were learning how to ride a bike, one of the things mm -hmm. we had to just accept was we might fall. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I crashed my bike a few times. Heck, me and my, because I was a tomboy, we used to build crazy ramps with our bicycles. For what? To be like Evil Knievel. Why? Yep. Didn't matter that half of those ramps were going to fall and someone was going to cut their head open. Didn't matter. We're like willing to just bite it. We were willing to hit the pavement and hurt ourselves. We didn't care. In fact, it was more fun when someone crunched as long as it wasn't you. Yeah. Right? But we pushed limitations. We kept building it higher. You'd go over the ramp. Everyone could do it. Build it higher. That's mm -hmm. how we found where our limits were. And life is no different. You have to be willing to fail to know where your limits are, where you need to learn to improve, to grow, to, so that you can then lift that limitation. And I think in this, in this time we're in right now, it is about that. It's about take the lid off, remove that box so your spirit is not depressed anymore. Your soul can breathe. Right. You know, but it may mean walking through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> which is the dark night of the soul. That you don't have to pitch a tent and live there. <laughs> you don't have to, and you shouldn't. You should be willing to slay those inner demons and slay those fears and slay your bad behaviors and, and slay your, your need to be proper and, and look a certain way or, or have people like you. You have to be willing to have everybody reject you. You have to be willing to lose everything. And in that place of losing everything, because you already did anyways, if you're already that depressed, you've lost right. everything that really matters. You've lost your will to live. You've lost your passion. You've lost your, your um, connection to who you are. You have to be willing to lose all the outer stuff and then walk through that valley of the shadow of death. You know, what's, a, what's the Bible say? Lo, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. Right. That is the phrase that got me through many of those dark times because I knew in the darkest of the darkest of the darkest stuff that I was going through in my mind and in my emotions where I felt my heart, literally my chest was going to break into where the someone would, it felt like someone was squeezing on my heart so many times when I had to face the fact that I hadn't experienced love up until that point. Right? I hadn't really um, been, ever been loved properly or nurtured. And when you remember that, when you feel into that and, and you express it and you write it, oh, it's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but you have to. And as you walk through that, all of a sudden the dam bursts, the tears come out and you're like, it did happen that way. And mm -hmm. I did believe I wasn't lovable, but I am lovable. Okay. Wait a minute. And then there, there comes a little light in and then more light comes and more light comes in. And you know that, that as you break away from those things, cause you are willing to face it, the truth, the truth of who you are, the truth of your strategies, the truth of who your parents were or weren't, then yeah, you're subjected to the possibilities that there is more to life and yeah, maybe you lost everything. You lost your perception of the way everything was, but it will all, all be added back to you and then some in the end. You gotta but be willing truth, to face it. 
but your truth is your truth and doesn't have to be somebody else's. Absolutely. But a lot of people don't want that. No, oh, they don't want that. They don't want their own truth. It's like, what do you mean I have to make it my own? I don't have my own truth. We all have our own truth. Right. And the, the, the reality is the analytical mind tied to the ego blinds us from what our accessing, what our truth is. Because our truth lies within accessing our emotional body and accessing our intuition. That is how we start to get through the void. Yes. And then we come out onto the other side. Yes. But you can't, I mean, what, you know, how do you paint on a, on a blank canvas if you're not willing to pick a color or a brush? You know, people that are in the void, I'm like, well, what do you want? I don't know. It's the same thing as sitting in front of a blank canvas with all of the colors in the universe available to you and all of the paintbrush styles available to you and refusing to pick one because I don't want to make a mistake. Right. Screw it. Pick one. Pick two. Pick 10 colors at once. Pour those puppies onto the canvas and see what happens. I mean, be willing to just throw it onto the canvas and see what happens. You have to take a step. And, and that is that place of, you know, what's the next logical step? When you come out of the void, the, the first thing is, what makes me the happiest? What makes me smile? It may be, you know, right now I'm looking, I live in Washington. It's been raining for over a month and I can actually see blue sky. There are still clouds, big poofy ones, and it was rain. It was snowing this morning, but right now, there's blue clouds. So knowing that I absolutely need to see the sky and the blue clouds, the gray is not my color. That's a logical next step. Okay. So I, ident I identified something about myself. You need sun. You need blue sky. Can't handle gray. Gray's not your color. Cool. What do you do about that when you live in Seattle? You either go on vacation or... You, you move someplace where, you know, it's not like that. And I don't, you know, still looking for a place. I thought I had a place picked out. Comes to find out, you know, that's not going to work for me physically either because I'm not into having asthma. And yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but it's that simple thing, you know, people are afraid to leave relationships. Why? Because of the unknown, uh, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone and get into the God zone. It's like, what if I made a mistake? What happens if I'm underneath the, you know, what if I'm alone? Bridge? Huh? What if I'm Bridges? alone? That's oh. the, I mean, that's why people don't, don't leave relationships is they don't want to be alone. And it's like, so you would rather have a partner that you can't stand to do anything with or be with just for the sake of knowing you are somebody's partner. Right. That doesn't even make any sense to me. We live on a planet of billions and billions of people. You will never be alone. <laughs> Ever. There's plenty of fish. Oh, There's a, never mind. Right? Like, <laughs> but, but so what if you are like not unpartnered? Mm -hmm. You know, being alone and being unpartnered are two very different things. Right. I'm unpartnered, but I am not alone. Nor do I yeah. ever feel like I'm alone. I could be in the middle of the desert and still not feel alone because I have spirit and, and 
guides and everything all the way around me. But most people are so afraid to mm -hmm. leave that thing that they hate because they're afraid that they're, they're going to be alone. People are going to judge me. You know, well, I'm never going to find anyone ever again. Really? Like ever? That was a really long time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So that, that's and, that thing too. It's like you have to be willing to just break it all apart and build, build anew when you're coming out of that dark night of the soul and hit that void. You have to be willing to just take a step, use a color, make a mistake, you know? I don't know, go deliver pizzas and see if you like it. You have to be willing to try things. When I moved around a lot when I was younger, I learned I like to work at gas stations because cool. it is a great way to get to know the people in the community. Yes. Everybody needs gas for, you know, and they drive all these different kinds of vehicles. Yeah. And way back when everybody had to come inside, so you got a chance to talk to them. I always looked at them as a 30 second captive audience. Right. And I could either talk to them, tell them jokes or get to know them. And it was such a good way to get to know my area. Yeah. And yeah. Anytime I get a chance to talk to anybody, it's just, to me, that's a great job. A waitressing, great job to get to know people. I loved waitressing. It was great, great exercise and good pay. Right. But most yeah. people are just like, ew, you, you've had to serve people. I waitressed in Orange County, California. Um, so I met a lot of celebrities that came in because I was on the opening shift. So wow. a lot of people would be coming through from San Diego to LA. And we'll mm -hmm. stop there. Like Melissa Gilbert and Rob Lowe came in one time for breakfast. And I got to oh, wait cool. on them. When, this was back in the 80s, like late 80s or yeah, late 80s. So yeah, that was a big deal back then because, you know, Little House on the Prairie and all. And Rob Lowe was a thing at that Oh, point. yes, very. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was cool, you know, and I met mm -hmm. old people and I met young people and I met families. And yeah, but, you know, even that, I think because I didn't go to college. I never went to college. People are always shocked that, that I never had a day of college. You really? I thought you were educated. I am educated. Why do you seem to think that the only education you can get is from the university? Right. I educated myself. I chose the topics I wanted to study and I studied them at length. Um, just because I don't have a degree doesn't mean mm -hmm. diddly. And I'm a successful entrepreneur and have been for a very long time. And no, I've never even been to community college. Like I didn't, but I've had some killer jobs and I, I think it shouldn't stop me. You know, I didn't go to school to learn web programming. I taught myself. I didn't learn, go to school to learn graphic design. I taught myself like the world is full of information. Mm -hmm. Just like, how did I get through my issues and my darkness of the soul? I walked with spirit and I studied and I did my self study at length and then lifted myself out of it and chose. And you're sifting through basically information. What do I want to keep? What I don't. Right. But nobody likes cleaning out the closet. So who's going to want to clean out the cobwebs and, and the old issues? And we're so terrified. Oh, if I face my issues, am I, is it ever going to stop? Yeah, it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. At some point, if, noth if nothing else, at the end of this life, you'll be done facing your issues. But unfortunately, this planet is full of issues. So as you clear one main issue, you got little ones building again. Because <laughs> our egos want us to think that we know everything. 
honestly, that's what it boils down to. We think as humans that we know so much. We've forgotten far more than we'll ever know in human form. Right. Of our divinity. That's just a fact. And there's so much more to be given as far as knowledge-wise and serving-wise. To me, it's getting into... When I want to get lost into that void, um, I find the best way to be able to get out of it is to be able to give to others, to go into myself, to find out what am I lacking and want to search out somebody else to be able to give that to. Does that make sense? What, what do I think I'm lacking? What do I think I'm, I, I, it's funny. I hate that word. And yet it's such a common word. So, um, because we truly don't lack anything that we need. Everything we need is within us or the ability to get whatever we need is within us. Um, Bless Bless you. you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we don't really lack anything. So, so it's a funny thing. I like to give um, for the sake of getting myself out of my head, get getting myself out of uh, only focusing on my own desires, my own goals, my own whatever. So giving allows me to, to get out of the space of only thinking about me, how I feel, what I want, right? Because even as a spiritual person, you know, we can become very, very insular and only think about what I want, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel bad, you know, and then we become so insular that we stop engaging with the rest of the world and experiencing all the many levels um, and la- layers and colors that this world has to offer. So yes, giving is good. It gets you out of your head and your own experience and into someone else's. And it's also that thing of just engaging with other people's energy always can provide you a solution. Funny, like as we give to another, we're actually giving more of a blessing to ourselves. Giving is right. the gift. And that is actually, um, when you were talking about the void mm-hmm. and the confusion and not picking the color and then getting into, as we progress further, it's, well, this makes me happy and this makes me happy. And then, this, and then the pendulum swing the opposite direction. And by doing the giving, it really kind of, I don't know, it's like coming out of the swimming pool. You're finally able to get over the cusp of it because it, it helps to bring the balance back and engages with a different energy beyond where you're at. And giving is an action. Yes. It's a physical act. It's an action. So it is the, the manifestation of what's going on within you. It's the physical manifestation of who you are and what's going on within you. So yeah, if that's the first step out of the void is to give, perfect. Because at least you're finding a vehicle and an outlet to bring it into physical form. Otherwise, it's still just energy waiting to be manifested and created. But people are afraid. They're afraid to, to in that place of the void, they're afraid to take that first step forward. You know, the other mistake, though, then is to overgive. 
because then there's a lot of people and I, I'm still guilty of this, um, have a program that they have to give. Right. And it should never be a have to, it should only be because I want to, I get to, um, mm -hmm. if it, if it becomes an obligation or, or there's guilt, then there, that's just another layered program you have to clear away. Right. That isn't getting back into giving. That's relieving of something else. It's running. It's hiding. It's, it's enabling. It's bypassing. It's many things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that explains it. Did I cover that well enough? I think we did. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, you guys, that's going to be it for the interview um, for this week. And we'll see what comes next. Hopefully, uh, you enjoyed that. If you have any questions, you can always email me at BernadetteGold at Comcast.net. Uh, make sure that you click like and subscribe to get updates as to our new releases. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Angie, for being part of this. It was awesome. Yes, for me too. Cool. You have no idea how much I get from this. Thank you. You're welcome. Yay. All right, you guys. We'll see you yourself. later. Open up to all life's wealth. Tap into a sixth sense with intuitive intelligence.